0: Hi, this is John Binder. You're listening to TV Confidential.
1: Well, let's hear it
0: for him. Come on, come on out here. Ed Robertson welcoming you
1: to TV Confidential, feel radio talk show about television that will remember Charles Grodin in our second hour. Charles Grodin, the Emmy Award-winning actor, writer, producer, director, New York Times best-selling author, TV talk show host, CBS radio commentator, and the star of such movies as Midnight Run, The Heartbreak Kid, and the Beethoven movies. Charles Grodin passed away this past Tuesday, May 18th, at the age of 86. You might recall that we had a chance to talk to Charles on this program back in December 2012. It was a lively conversation that covered many topics, including Charles' personal approach to acting, how the choices he made as an actor changed over the years, and some sound advice for those who wish to pursue acting that is not always taught in acting school. We also talked about Charles' longtime advocacy for prison inmates, what makes a good talk show host, and a good radio commentator, and a few poignant memories of working with Johnny Carson. We'll replay our conversation with Charles Grodin in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. Coming up later on in this hour, we will welcome Michael Shevich. If Michael's name doesn't ring a bell, Chances are his work in advertising will, among other things, Michael created the iconic slogan for Gillette Razors, Gillette, the best a man can get. But despite his great success in advertising, Michael decided there was a lot more to life than writing catchy slogans. And to make a long story short, he had a spiritual experience that changed the course of his life and paved the way for his second act as a writer and teacher of spirituality. Michael's latest book, as a matter of fact, will change the way you look at The Wizard of Oz while also maybe changing the course of your life. We'll talk about that and more when Michael Shevich joins us later on in this hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, this coming Tuesday, June 1st, marks the centennial birthday of Nelson Riddle. Nelson Riddle, the Oscar-winning and Grammy Award-winning arranger, and composer, who was arguably the greatest arranger and composer of his era. Known around the world for his many collaborations with Frank Sinatra, as well as his work with such other music greats as Dean Martin, Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald, Judy Garland, and Linda Ronstadt, Nelson Riddle also contributed to the soundtrack of our film and TV lives, including the themes to such classic TV shows as Route 66 and The Untouchables, and the score for the classic 1966 movie, Batman. Joining us now via Zoom is Jeffrey Littlefield. Jeff is a writer, producer, and director with encyclopedic knowledge of the Great American Songbook. You have seen him, or heard him, in countless radio and television interviews here in the U.S., as well as in the UK. Jeff is also the author of a brand new biography of Nelson Riddle, which we'll tell you about in just a second. Jeffrey Littlefield, welcome to our program. Thank
0: you very much, Ed, and thanks for having me on. This
1: this may be an obvious question, but let me ask you anyway, what led you to write this particular book?
0: Well, I go, go back quite a long way with Christopher Riddle, who's the only um, child of Nelson Riddle that actually ended up being a professional musician. And... Um, in my work in music management and production, Christopher and I go back a long way, so we've always kept in touch in terms of you know, the music as a whole. And um, this year is the centennial of Nelson Riddle's birth, 1921 to June 2021. I always felt there there was always more to tell in the story of Nelson Riddle. There's been some publications um, obviously out there before, But he's so prolific, I felt there was more to say, especially on perhaps the TV and the movie side of things, which is perhaps not so well known to people.
1: What I like about the way you put Nelson Riddle music with a heartbeat together, Jeff, is while it is a traditional biography in that, you know, you start with his birth and you end with his death and you touch on some of the personal demons that he dealt with over the course of his life and career. For the most part, this is a music, this is really a book about the music of Riddle and what made the Riddle sound singular across the board.
0: Absolutely. His orchestrations are unique. Uh, Sinatra always wanted a top arrangement to match a top song, and that they hit it off. I mean, it had been known, obviously more well-known for his work with Sinatra, he was so prolific, uh, having worked with Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald, Judy Garland. The list is endless, really. It goes on and on. Um, but he always tailored the arrangement specifically to the individual singer. He didn't write cookie-cutter arrangements, as they call
1: it. And it seems to me there's a fine line, whether you're Nelson Riddle or any arranger, there's a fine line in that you want to write the best arrangement you could possibly think of, but you have to write an arrangement that works best for the singer that you're working with, don't you?
0: I think so. It's very much a case of showcasing the singer. Each singer's vocal abilities vary, of course, but in his case, he never crowded out the singer. He always provided that space to, uh, for them to showcase their, their talents to the best of their abilities. That's probably best in shown by his work with Rosemary Clooney. We'll probably come on to that a bit later. But um, she would be the first one to admit she had limited vocal abilities. But he created a space for her to um, shine a light on those vocal abilities that she had.
1: Yeah, and there there are other ways to do it. Like, if I remember correctly, Tutti Camarado when he worked with Annette Funicello, similar case in that Annette by her own admission, also was limited as a vocalist. In Tootie's case, they would, maybe not sync up is the right word, but they would play up the music and you would have arrangements that would sort of complement and make Annette sound bigger than she actually was. Now, in the case of Nelson Riddle, whether he was working with Rosemary Clooney, whether he was working with Nat Cole, whether he was working with Sinatra or Ella, he took the opposite approach. He believed less is more, didn't he?
0: Very much so. Yeah, yeah. that That's a great description. Less is more. And that's illustrated throughout his arrangements throughout his career, really. But he was also part of what I call a golden era in Hollywood. I remember Nelson Riddle, you know, going way back from when I was a kid in the 50s and 60s. I always remember that name cropping up on the TV screen, arranged <laughs> and conducted by Nelson Riddle. Yeah, I thought, well, who's this guy? You know, and then, and then of course I got more into the Great American Songbook with Frank Sinatra, and then I, I thought, well, wow, yeah, I understand now. And then of course, obviously, you research and uh, and you find really that he almost single-handedly resurrected Frank Sinatra's career which was in a nosedive in 52.
1: Nelson Riddle, Music with a Heartbeat, available through Grosvenor House Publishing, as well as Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Jeffrey Littlefield is the author of Nelson Riddle, Music with a Heartbeat. He is joining us today via Zoom. Uh, And as Jeff mentioned earlier in our conversation, calendar year 2021, as a matter of fact, June 2021, marks the centennial year of... Nelson Riddle's birth you spend a third of the book not only you know, chronicling the collaborations the relationship between Sinatra and Nelson Riddle but more or less giving us a mini discography with a lot of liner notes <laughs> uh, yeah. for, for each yeah, of the I many pr- albums I probably
0: got carried away there a little bit I think maybe
1: No, I, I, I think it's great <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think also I should acknowledge um, the input that Christopher Riddle, Nelson's musician's son uh, and leader of the NRO now, the Nelson Riddle Orchestra, has made to the book because he has so many first-hand accounts that I was leaning on as well, you know, of dealing with Sinatra and uh, telling me about his personality, how his dad dealt with him in the studio. Uh, Nelson Riddle, um, the third Nelson Skip Riddle, also had some first-hand accounts that he gave me as well, as well as Rosemary and Sarah. Who, the children were there growing up with music, and um, yeah, Riddle's relationship with Sinatra was very much arm's length, and I think this was this was on purpose on uh, on Nelson's behalf really, because he'd heard previously that. Uh, Frank didn't need a lot of sleep, you know, and uh, he he more or less thought that most other people were the same. So it wouldn't be unusual for him to, to phone an arranger at two, three o'clock in the morning, you know, get up because he'd had an idea about this or that. So unlike his relationship with Nat Cole, which was more of a per on a personal level, and the families interacted, etc., got to know each other very well, it was more businesslike with Sinatra. And I think um, Nelson just wanted to keep him at arm's length because um, he was very intense. Yeah. Although they got on very well professionally, and they both recognized that.
1: And Sinatra was not only intense, uh, my understanding, and you confirmed this in uh, Nelson Riddle Music with a heartbeat, Jeff, is that Sinatra was often mercurial, even if... You had a good working relationship with him because of the way he was wired. He could change on a dime. And the sense I got is Riddle knew that and he worked differently with Sinatra than he did with anybody else, didn't he? Yeah,
0: Absolutely, yeah. He recognized that fact. I mean, that's illustrated when they recorded the, the iconic and now immortalized song I've Got You Under My Skin. I mean, that was added on at the last minute. add-on really with two other tunes and Nelson Riddle was given sort of 24 hours to come up with a new arrangement. Sinatra wasn't best pleased about this because he'd been he'd been told by Capital, well, yeah we want to capitalise, no pun intended, <laughs> on, on the future success of this um, but we need two more arrangements. So Sinatra picks the phone up, Nelson I need you know I need these like yesterday but it was the following morning or the following evening, even though we're going to record, because he always wanted to record in early evening when his pipes were looser. But yeah, it was very much put on the spot. And Nelson, he had this blue-collar work ethic. And as Christopher says, when his back was to the wall, he did his best work mm. when he was under pressure. Yeah. Unlike a lot of people, the, the cow are and, and not able to do that. But he was very aware of what Sinatra's mood would be like going into the studio because he didn't want to do an extra session. They'd already been at, you know, recording this album for some while. He didn't want to go into the studio. And he was very concerned about what Sinatra was going to show up that evening. But uh, fortunately, it was all, all OK in the end.
1: Nelson Riddle Music with a Heartbeat, available through Grosvenor House Publishing, as well as Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Jeffrey Littlefield is the author of Nelson Riddle Music with a Heartbeat. Uh, Jeff wrote the book with the cooperation of the Riddle estate, and the book includes firsthand anecdotes, knowledge, memories from three of Nelson Riddle's children, Christopher Riddle, Nelson Riddle third, and Rosemary Acera. Christopher Riddle, by the way, is the only Riddle to follow his father's footsteps. Christopher Riddle currently is the leader of the Nelson Riddle Orchestra. What's interesting is we're talking a little bit about how Riddle and uh, Sinatra worked with each other. Now, I've done many programs about the career of Frank Sinatra, and I know that as an actor. uh, He was known in the industry as One Take Frank. And that,
0: Correct. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I think
1: it was. Yeah, yeah. But the the the
0: point that's, is, that's the polite version.
1: Yes, that's yeah. Well, yes, and we 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 are on AM FM radio, so we we follow the polite version. But uh, absolutely. <laughs> but meaning that uh, folks, that when uh, Sinatra showed up to the studio to film whether it's oceans 11 or, or or from here to eternity whatever movie he was making he would give the director one take and that's it uh, but apparently when it came to recording in the studio doing his albums he was not like that at all he took more of a theatrical approach which is if you need another uh, could we have another take Frank he would do that
0: Oh, yeah, it was almost the exact opposite. Yeah. And very often the musicians were out on their feet. I mean, they certainly were with "I've Got You Under My Skin" because I mean they had so many retakes. I think somebody counted twenty or so—not mm-hmm. full retakes—but nonetheless, if you're you're blowing a trombone, a bass trombone, or whatever, you're running out of puff at a certain stage, aren't you? But yeah, he was the exact opposite to what he was on on the movie set. He just wanted—he wanted it to be absolute perfection or as close to you can get it and um, he prepared so well in advance uh, of these recording sessions he had the finest musicians of course he insisted upon that and the result is there for all to see.
1: I don't know whether this was attributed to Frank Sinatra or whether it's just become synonymous with Frank Sinatra but they say The difference between a singer and a crooner is that a singer is more of an artist, where a crooner is more inclined to sing, you know, for popular audiences to make records, that sort of thing. And I've been told Sinatra, for example, Sinatra always considered himself a singer, whereas he considered Dean Martin to be more of a crooner. What do you think about that, Jeff?
0: yeah, I think so. I think he did with with also with his idol Bing Crosby,
1: because
0: mm-hmm. if you remember that uh, uh, memorable phrase in in the movie um, High Society where they do that wonderful duet together, well, did you ever? Um, <laughs> there's sort of talking in between, isn't there? Where Sinatra said, "Don't dig that kind of crooning, chum." So it's even though Bing Crosby was his idol, he was absolutely in awe of. Crosby because uh, he was the man until Sinatra took over. He still regarded him as a crooner, uh, whereas he regarded himself as a singer. And I've had this debate with numerous people. Um, you know, I, I worked alongside Victor son in, in uh, music management, and uh, Vic very much regarded himself rightly so as a singer, not a crooner. And yeah, it's a a fine line, isn't it? You probably wouldn't see Dean Martin belting out a big ballad. No. You know, it required a lot of, it was very much an easy style, wasn't it, the way he would approach
1: it. Two things, assuming you accept the difference between the two singers. We certainly illustrated why Sinatra would consider himself more of an artist, more of a quote-unquote singer, because of the way the lengths he would take to get a song right when he was in the recording studio. But having said that, it seems to me one thing that both Dean and Sinatra and all great singers have in common is that regardless of what they're singing and how they sing it, no matter how many times they perform that song, they always make it seem like they're singing it to you and me for the very first time, don't they?
0: Yeah, they do. And I, I think that, yeah, they interpret the lyrics. Uh, they're telling a story. And as they get older, of course, they've got more scars on their hearts. Uh, and it, it's it's more believable, isn't it? Okay, forget the, the vocal range of the, in, the individual singer. The Sinatra's vocal range will be much wider than Dean Martins, for example, but um, Dean still had a lot of a success with, with his recording career, rightly so. Yeah. Uh, but they tell a story. I think you know they don't gloss over the lyrics, just purely singing. Yeah. There's very many accomplished singers from that era that you would perhaps think, well, yeah, great voice, but it didn't really tell me the story of the particular tune. Question.
1: Jeffrey Littlefield tells the story of many of the tunes that Frank Sinatra brought to life with his longtime arranger Nelson Riddle in Nelson Riddle Music with a heartbeat, an authorized biography that we'll talk some more about when we continue our conversation with Jeff here on TV Confidential.